Well, it's good to see your faces again. Uh, before I bring the word, there are a couple of things I'd like to say. First, so many have asked, how are things going with Mark? Uh, and we're definitely seeing positive results in the therapies that are being given. But, you know, I want to especially thank God for my good son-in-law. You know, uh, I don't know what we would do at this time, taking care of Mark without Diana. And Jim has not complained one bit. <laughs> about having to do without his wife while she is spending so much time at our home. I thank you, Jim, for your generosity with your wife <laughs> and my daughter. <laughs> and then several have asked, well, how did things go last weekend? Uh, as uh, you, many of you know, probably most of you, we were in Stanton, Virginia. Um, Friday afternoon, we spoke to the high school uh, uh, Grace Christian Academy presenting the Dulos Principle. Then Friday night and all day Saturday we spoke to a, a men's gathering at a retreat. The Lord was very present, just a sense of God's presence in those meetings. About one count said 50 men, 155, so somewhere like that. Sunday morning we preached at Stanton uh, in the local church. And then in the afternoon... There, there's a couple that is, has devoted themselves to ministering to the deaf. Several people in the congregation can do American Sign Language. And so we met with this couple to discuss several things. One thing had to do with challenges they were facing. Many of those in their church have been deaf all of their lives. And the only language they understand is the American Sign Language. They cannot read. And it's a real challenge if a person doesn't have a vocabulary, how do you think? Can you think cognitively and meditate upon something without words in your mind? They can't. They, they've never had that. And so communicating to them the gospel of Jesus has challenges that many of us would never think about. This really is an unreached people group. Sad to say, many of them as children uh, were, uh, lived in institutions, they were sexually abused, uh, many, many problems of that nature they face. And uh, so what a wonderful thing that God has called this couple to begin a house church for the deaf. And there are about four or five adults that work with them. And I would urge you in your prayers to pray for that ministry. I don't know what it's named but just uh, the deaf. Another interesting thing, there is a deaf pride movement, and they resent the fact that in the Gospels we read that Jesus healed a deaf man. And uh, the question was asked of a group of them one day, if you had the opportunity to be healed, what would you do? Only two said they would accept it. The rest are proud of being a part of the deaf movement. And there's somewhat resentment against the hearing world. So that's a spiritual stronghold uh, that needs to be uh, overcome. So pray uh, for that particular group. Other things happened, but that to me was so fulfilling to see the, the love that God has put in the hearts of these people for the deaf. Good to see Ray and Denise. Boy, you guys have been everywhere. <laughs> Thank God for you topic that I, the Lord has put on my heart this morning is a topic that 
Most people want to avoid, put it out of their minds. Many think it's a downer, uh, something that robs us of joy and happiness. Yet for Christians, it's just the opposite. The topic this morning is death. And our text is found in the epistle of the Hebrews. But first, let's spend a moment thinking about the epistle of Hebrews. And we've talked about this before, but let's remember that the epistle of Hebrews is written to a group of Jewish Christians who had been Christians for several years. They came to Christ believing that Jesus very soon was going to return and they would see the kingdom of God established, but now after many years it hadn't happened. Some of them began to yearn for the experiences of their childhood, the many ceremonies that were a part of the Jewish religion, the family gatherings, and now they were ostracized, they were banned, they were not allowed to attend those because they were disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some had been persecuted physically. Some had had their belongings taken away from them, and they had begun to fall away. And so the epistle to the Hebrews was written to that group of people, pointing out to them that in Christ Jesus, under the new covenant, we have things that are far superior to anything that existed under the law and the covenant of Moses. And one by one, through that marvelous epistle, layer upon layer is given asserting that begins by pointing out that we have a superior messenger. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in His Son, whom He has made the heir of all things, and through Him He created all things, who, after He had made propitiation for our sins, sat down by the right hand of the Magion High. It says that He is the effulgence of the glory and the very representation of the Godhead. Under the Old Testament, all they had was prophets. But the New Covenant has been communicated to us by God Himself through Jesus Christ, who Himself is divine. He goes on and speaks of the superiority of our superiority of our sacrifice. Every year the high priest had to take the blood of lambs and goats, which can never atone for sin. But one time one sacrifice was made, and that is the Lamb of God once forever it has been made. He speaks of the superiority of our tabernacle, which is in the heavens, and what they had under the old covenant was just a shadow of that. On and on he goes. Speaking of the superiority of the high priest, the tabernacle, all the things that we have under the new covenant, of which the old is but a shadow. And then he talks about the wonderful promises we have in the hereafter that they did not have. Our text is Hebrews 9, 27 to 28. And as it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this comes the judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time unto salvation without sin to those who eagerly Await Him. What a beautiful promise. 
it is accounted for men, for mankind, once to die. When I was about five or six years old, I awakened in the middle of the night, and I don't know why I began to think about death, and I was scared to death. (laughs) And I can remember waddling down that dark hall to my mother's bedroom and grabbing her flannel gown and begin tugging it, saying, Mama, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I can imagine what she thought to be awakened by a child saying that. She comforted me, but here's how. Son, go back to sleep. That won't happen for many years. (laughs) And that's the way it ended. Before I came to TCF, I officiated many funerals. I've officiated a few since I've been here. I checked, I've I've officiated 182 funerals. It's good for those who are called to be ministers of the gospel to officiate at funerals because we are constantly reminded of what this really is all about, the temporary nature of life and what lies beyond. The wealthiest person in the city of Tulsa, that person that spends his night in a cardboard box, both will die. The most highly educated, most intelligent professor at the most demanding university or that ignorant savage who lives in the jungle, both are going to die. The worst sinner who has ever walked the streets of this city the holiest person who has ever attended a church service. Both are going to die. The healthiest person in this room or that person who is struggling with pain and sickness, both are going to die. And I especially want to say to the young people, you are going to die. That's the bottom line. It's important truth to sink in. Someday I will attend your funeral or you'll attend mine. We all will die. It's accounted unto man once to die. Now, how do you respond to that truth? (laughs) Again, Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, speaking of Jesus, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. Satan, until Jesus Christ went to the cross and was resurrected and there makes intercession for us, until that happened, every human being who lived, lived in fear of death. Satan's prison camp of fear captured humanity. But Jesus Christ rendered powerless Satan who had the power of death as he freed those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. Isn't that a glorious truth? (laughs) I can face tomorrow, I can face the grave without fear but with exaltation because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And then after this, it is accounted unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. 
immediately upon dying, every person knows where he will spend eternity. Paul, writing to Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, being always of good courage, knowing that we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. But we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent to the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, either good or bad. And to the Philippians he wrote, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. I don't know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed in both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is much better. Yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And remember on the cross, Jesus said to the thief who said, Lord, remember me when you come to your kingdom. He said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. When someone dies, he immediately either finds himself in the presence of Jesus or in some kind of a holding situation, awaiting the great judgment day. In this world, there are two groups of people. One group is the ecclesia. That's, that's the Greek word that means a called out ones. That's the word that we translate as church. Maybe we shouldn't translate it as church. We should actually translate it. God's assembly, the assemblies of God did get that right. They translated ecclesia for what it really means. The assembly. God's assembled people. He has called us out of the world into assemblies in the grand assembly. That's one group of world in the world today. John 6, 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out, but no one comes to me unless the Father draws him, and I will raise him up on that last day. Today in the world, one group of people is the ecclesia, the ones that have been called out of the culture into God's assembly. And then there's everyone else. In the present world of the dead, there are two groups of people. Those who upon dying find themselves in the presence of Christ, these are those who in this present world are part of the ecclesia. And then there are those who upon dying find themselves in a holding area awaiting divine judgment. Prior to the judgment day, there will be two resurrections. One resurrection will be all of those who have claimed Christ, all those who are gods, all those who even under the old covenant are acceptable to God. There will be that resurrection. And those who are alive in the world and belong to Jesus at that time, their bodies will be changed into glorified bodies. 
And then there's a second resurrection to those who are not in Christ. And then, according to some time scheme, there will be a great judgment day. Now, somewhere we see the millennium in there, and there are all kinds of views, and we don't even get into that, but it's clear on some kind of a time scale there will be a first resurrection of the saints, a second resurrection, and a great judgment day groups of people and in that great judgment day all the people who have ever lived will appear before God in that great judgment those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life are in one group Philippians 4.3 Paul writing says indeed true companion I ask you to help these women who have shared in my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Revelation 3, 5, He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. I will not erase his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father, before his angels. Revelation 20, 12, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged from the things that were written in the book according to their deeds. Revelation 20, 15, If anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 21, 27, Nothing unclean, no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, speaking of the city of God, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let me say to you this morning, there is absolutely no more important issue for you to face than this question. Is your name inscribed in the Lamb's Book of Life? There is no more important question for you to face in all of your existence than that. There's an old song that we used to sing, Lord, I care not for riches, neither silver nor gold. I would make sure of heaven. I would enter the fold. In the book of thy kingdom with his pages so fair, tell me, Jesus, my Savior, is my name written there? Is my name written there on the page white and fair in the book of thy kingdom? Is my name written there? Lord, My sins are many, like the sands of the sea, but thy blood, O my Savior, is sufficient for me. For thy promise is written in bright letters that glow, though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them like snow. Is my name written there on the page bright and fair in the book of thy kingdom? Is my name written there? Oh, that beautiful city with its mansions of life, with its glorified beings and pure garments of white, where no evil thing cometh to despoil what is fair. For the angels are watching. Ah, yes, my name's written there. Is my name written there on the page white and fair of the book of my kingdom? Oh, my no, my name is written there. My brother, my sister, my friend, 
There is no more important question for you to face in all of your existence than this. Is my name written? That's more important than whether or not you have a happy marriage. That's more important than whether or not you have food on your table. That's more important than anything in all of eternity for you is this. Is my name written in the Lamb's book of life? And that's one group. (laughs) And then there's the other group cast into outer darkness. How do you know that your name is written there? Well, Paul twice tells us, at least twice, too clearly, one in Ephesians once, another time in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, that a way that you can know is that God has put the Holy Spirit into your life. Ephesians chapter 1, the King James Version, says the Holy Spirit's given as an earnest. And that's the sense you have. Say you're going to buy a house, and it's uh, cost a certain amount of money, and you say, I'll buy it. And so you give a sum of money called earnest money. And that earnest money is a guarantee to the seller that after everything is done, he'll get the full price. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, or rather the Ephesians, in chapter 1, said the Holy Spirit is God's earnest. He has put that within us, and that guarantees us that the glories of heaven will be ours. That's God's earnest. First Corinthians, he says it's a seal. That's God's brand that he puts on us, says, this is mine. If you have the Holy Spirit in your life, then you know for sure that your name is written in the book of life. You say, well, how can I have this Holy Spirit? The only answer I know to give you is that given by Peter and consistent really in the book of Acts. Repent, metaneo, change your mind about who Jesus is, about your view of life, who is Lord, be immersed, every one of you, in the name of, and that means upon the authority of Jesus, into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promises unto you and to your children, as many as far off as the Lord our God shall call. That's the promise of Peter. And we find that consistent throughout the book of Acts. That's how you get the Holy Spirit. And having received the Holy Spirit, the awareness of God becomes real to you and you know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Writing to Titus, Paul said in chapter 3, 5, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. Michael Bloomberg was interviewed by the New York Times, and here's what he said. I believe my work as mayor has earned me a place in heaven. I'm telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I've earned my place in heaven, 
it's not even close. Boy, is he in for a surprise. Indeed, he's been a wonderful philanthropist. We have wonderful Jewish philanthropists in the city of Tulsa. But their work of philanthropy will not get them into heaven unless their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and that only comes by accepting the work of Jesus. Those whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life will be judged according to their book, a record of their life, and every one will be found wanting because, as Paul said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life will also be judged. But the record that will be examined concerning their life will not be whether or not they get into heaven, but the degree of reward. Jesus spoke, for instance, in the Sermon on the Mount of certain ones, great is their reward in heaven, and beware of practicing your righteousness before men because they'll have no reward. I wonder when my book is read for everybody to listen to, <laughs> is the end going to be, well done, good and faithful servant. I pray that's what I hear. And how obedient I am to the Lord Jesus will determine that. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 9 to 10, Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, speaking of whether or not we're in the flesh, to be pleasing to him. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good and bad. You know, I noticed this morning we have no visitors. So I'm going to assume that everybody here has his name in the book of life. But that may be a false assumption. If you don't have, you need to take care of that. <laughs> that is the most important and pressing issue of your life. If you're uncertain, there are two elders on the front row that would love to meet with you and counsel with you and lead you through what needs to happen to give you that assurance. One of the songs that we sing that TCF sometimes is in Christ alone. Listen to the final verse. How marvelous. No guilt in life. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath. Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell. No scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. 
till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. What a wonderful confession. I pray it can be yours in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jim. It's a good thing to be reminded of, even though it's a sobering message. It's a good thing to be reminded of. Speaking of reminders, we're having a benevolence offering this morning. Uh, those of you who would like to contribute to our benevolence fund will have that opportunity. There'll be a basket down here following the service. You can come. And uh, speaking of being having your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, uh, Charlene reported to me during the service that nine children in the Good News Club this week prayed to trust Christ as Lord. So we're grateful for that ministry that is leading people to Christ. Amen? Let's stand together. Remind you of the 